Hello everybody out there in comic book land, my name is George Serrano aka The Don and we must have been doing something good because you guys are back for the second issue of the Major Issues Podcast where we tackle all the greatest and latest things to come to comic books and comic book media and just like last time I am being joined by a resident comic book clicker, one of the newest members to the click, sir introduce hey, yourself. Hey, hey how's it going everybody, my name is Jonathan Escudero aka Yogi, like the bear because I'm so hairy and because my eyes are always low. There you go, Yogi, Yogi Like the Bear, and we're going to be doing something we haven't done in a long time, something that actually needs to be done here at CBC. We're going to actually delve into some comics, some comic news, we'll talk about uh, Doomsday Clock, get into all things Dark Knight's Metal, and uh, finally get to talk about these stories that will probably eventually be made into films that we're all going to end up having to see. So uh, I guess we just go right in, well, spoilers. If you haven't read any Definitely. of this stuff, there's going to be tons of spoilers to deal with the Doomsday Clock and uh, the Dark Knight's Metal series, which you still have time to jump in on both of them. Doomsday Clock is only on issue one. The Dark Knight's Metal is on issue three, I believe, out of yeah, eight. Yeah, comes out in December. Yeah, so we still got a, we still got a lot of time. Uh, if, but as far as a recap and review, we can do all that here for you guys. Look at that. Free Look of charge. That. So convenient. So nice. Free of charge. We'll do that right here for you. Uh We'll go ahead and get to Doomsday Clock first, but before we do that, how did you feel about the idea that of how do you feel about the idea of comic book sequels in general? Because they are a it's a trepidatious uh, situation when a creator has their stuff remade, and sometimes it's even worse when that creator has their stuff remade and they're not the ones to remake it. You see that I always I have my own ideas on that where superheroes are basically stories that are built off of uh, characters that were created by someone else. So if you true? if you create characters in the comic book industry, you almost have to expect that someone else is gonna take your baton and keep running with it. That's so, true. I mean, I love Alan Moore, and we all know how he feels about that. But I've always disagreed with him. Oh, he does. I mean, isn't he notorious for saying like all anybody who adapts any of his stuff that's not his? He said he hates it. It's not. The way his story was envisioned, he doesn't want people touching characters that he plays with. Although, you know, he made his career on playing with characters that other people. Yeah, and check that out, right? So, yeah. I mean, who would have know if had they let him use the Charlton characters that he wanted to? Because initially, he wanted to base Watchmen off the Charlton characters that DC had purchased. Oh, but they would have never been usable again. Like, no, after no, that. no, no. Yeah, because when the question goes around saying that when the whores of this city <laughs> ask me for help, I'll say no. Like. <laughs> You're like, damn, the question, what's going on there? Um, when when I first heard about this crossover or, or this super event, first thing that th- came to mind was Zack Snyder directed Watchmen, Zack Snyder directed Justice League. They're creating a, a property, uh, Zack Snyder friendly, to, to, to make into a movie. Now, obviously, a lot more thought went into that than that, but do you think I'm crazy? Do you think that there's any kind of allegiance there? Is Or was just Watchmen just primed for a sequel? I think uh, it's actually a bit of a mixture of all the things you said there. Seeing as how uh, HBO is actually working on that new Watchmen oh, series yeah, there right are. now. And uh, this book would be done around the time that Watchmen would be premiering on HBO. So, you know, there's definitely some type of corporate energy uh, synergy going on there. But uh, it's not like these... Th- you see, you were saying, uh, how do I feel about comic book sequels? Like, if there is a story to be told and it, it sequelizes an older story that people are, like, really protective of, you know, that's fine. But if we're going to, like, try to mine a property just for money, you know, in the way that they did with Before Watchmen. I was going to bring that up as well. Yeah. You know, a lot of people were not happy that the Before Watchmen series came out. They said that those stories didn't need to be told and kind of just stretched out or uh, diluted the uh, the yeah. Watchmen legend. And Watchmen, currently, the only comic book on the uh, you, uh, the Time Magazine's 100 novels to read. Yes, it is. Uh, and... That that's big. So you got to think that they're trying to strike. I, it's not while the iron's hot because the movie came out about almost ten years the ago iron's at this point. Cold. <laughs> yes, yes, the iron is pretty cool. But but they struck, um, and man, issue one of issue of twelve issues is definitely a setup uh, as it's intended to be. Uh, this is not something that you're gonna get exactly what you want out of every issue. But the pieces will lock in uh, when they when they need to. And we start off right from basically, you know, years after the big lie has been figured out. Ozymandias has been found out. And you know what? For, as soon as I read all that stuff, I kind of laughed to myself. Because in my mind, this happened, like, although it happened a short time after, like, 
he expected this thing to like work. He like this was gonna, this was gonna like oh, open and shut case. Doctor Manhattan did it. To be the beginning of his utopia. Yeah, Doctor Manhattan did it, and we're all good. And he turned the page, first page of Doomsday Clock, and there's riots in the street. But as he figured out, there was one major flaw in his plan. God abandoned them all. They, they did. And so you get, you go right back into the nine panel structure of the Watchmen, which you know what, oh, what a nice little hug. Gary Frank absolutely killed this issue. Like if you've read some of his past work. This Doomsday Clock is so much more detailed, and and you know he was trying to go for that Brian Boland side, but he nailed it. This is it's beautiful. This is beautiful work, and every all of the dialogue that's written on it, it, it I mean it's it's cliche to say that it fits like a glove with with what Watchmen has created, but that's exactly what it is. I mean this is when you when you want a sequel, you want you know something to. Uh, continue the story. This is kind of what you're looking for. You're looking for something in the same vein, but something that's going to add to the mythology. And the mythology that we're at now is a world in which we're back at at war again. We're back at everyone trying to nuke each other. We're back at uh, you know morality across the world uh, going down, and and Ozymandias being seen as the fraud as he is, and he's actually hiding out. They can't find Ozymandias. Yeah. Uh, People are paranoid around the world. They think the governments might have been colluding with Ozymandias. Nobody trusts each other anymore. It's, all, it's, it's out of control. And then we get the shocker that Ozymandias has a tumor in his brain. Yes. It uh, would be ironic if he did get it from Dr. Manhattan the way he was telling Oh, everybody. right, right, right. Well, he, the way he told everybody that. Uh, and, man, you the smartest man in the world seemingly now with a, a clock, a doomsday clock on him. He now... Uh, Time is of the essence, and we're still at least trying to find them. But we are able to uh, find that not everything is as it seems because why? Uh, Rorschach is back. Rorschach is back, or at least it appears so. Yes, it's... and uh, how do you feel about Rorschach being back? I mean, one of these panels was teased for you know yeah. a very long time about like look at Rorschach in this prison. Um, yeah, so for those who don't know, Jeff Johns actually premiered six six pages, the first six pages of Doomsday Clock back at uh, New York City Comic Con and the big reveal at the end of the six pages was that, you know, Rorschach is uh alive and still doing what he does. You know? I, you were there for that. How did the how did people react to the idea that Rorschach uh on the face of it, the Rorschach that we know is alive. The initial shock of it was pretty was pretty nuts. You know, the 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 build, the room did go a little crazy. <laughs> As it would, I mean, one of the pinnacle scenes of that uh, comic or uh, the film is is the death of Rorschach because he will not compromise uh, in the face of Armageddon. But uh, not much time goes by in the comic before we find out that Rorschach may not be who he says he is. And I think it's great that you mentioned that he dies because he will not compromise because one of the first things we see this Rorschach do is compromise. Right. I mean, very unlike. Very unlike our Rorschach. So what do you think this... I mean, obviously it's way too early to tell, but do you think this is a cosplay idea? Is this somebody... Uh, you know, like, is this is somebody who's so inspired by Rorschach that he feels that he needs to go and do it? Is this the guy who picked up the notebook, you know? Uh, Actually, um, if you if you read the extra texts in the in the back of the book, you find out that the, the dude Seymour, the journalist who picked up Rorschach's journal at the end of Watchmen, was actually killed. Oh wow! Yeah, and he got his journal stolen. So ah, so that's that's floating around. The truth of everything yes. is floating around, and that's that's quite dangerous. But uh, that's why I guess you got to amass a team, and who better to I guess be on your team than Rorschach, even if he's not the real one. I guess uh, Rorschach goes ahead to try to recruit the marionette and the mime, uh, yeah. a, a two new characters. How did you feel about these uh, inclusion of two new characters to the Watchmen mythos? I'm guessing that's gonna someone's gonna have to take the place of some of the lost characters of Watchmen. Well, actually, you see, I thought this was another example of Jeff Johns. Beautiful, beautiful fanboyism coming <laughs> okay. to light here, where the original Watchmen was all characters based off of the Charlton characters that DC had just bought. This is true. So now Jeff Johns has added two new characters into the Watchmen mythos that are also based off of Charlton characters. Oh, wow. From back in the day, they're based off of uh, Punch and Jewel, another married couple. See, uh, you got uh, Marionette and Mime here. Right, right. A married couple here, but they're a little bit darker and... Oh, the whole the whole thing about we have to go get mime and we have to go get mime's weapons. Oh, okay. uh, is okay. hilarious. It's absolutely hilarious. Like him watching him uh, load his fake or well, not his fake. I- I'm sorry, mime. His his uh, uh, invisible. 
watching him load his invisible guns into his holster and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely hilarious. But when push comes to shove and he gets into a, a prison fight, mime lets people know that he's not one to be trifled with. Now, one of the things we actually should mention before we keep moving is that uh, you see the Rorschach was actually only, or actually broke into the prison that the original Rorschach was broken out of, or back in the day by uh, Night Owl and uh, Silk Spectre. And uh, he broke into this prison just to uh, just to liberate Marionette, who says, you know, I'm not going anywhere without my husband. So um, this was actually the first clue that we get that this might not be Rorschach, because now we've uh, we've got this dude, Mime, yeah. who has, uh, who, uh, I want to say, there's this panel here, and uh, if you've read the book, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about, where Mime first gets... First gets uh he first gets released from uh, his cell. He attacks everyone who is uh harassing him, and he's got just blood smeared across his face with a smile, very reminiscent of one Joker. Yeah, and that blood stays there. It's a conscious effort to keep that blood on his mouth like that, and very much like the mimes. You remember how they used to outline the big mouths on the mimes? So that does a lot to to paint a very kind of sadistic picture of this couple, and how one of them just does not care about. Now you see this couple actually being sadistic. This couple actually does have uh, a child, which is what Rorschach was using as leverage. Right, to get he has. Them on they have side. a son. One of the prevailing theories online, being that their child is a bit older than. Oh dear. We've uh, <laughs> we've seen in their photos is that Mime and Marionette might actually be the parents of one of DC's three Jokers. That actually would make a lot of sense. And That's... mimes and marionettes go right into that whole theatrics of of clowns and stuff like that. Um, I like the hints. The hints are there. And it's definitely Jeff John's story that he's still telling from back in Rebirth where this was first revealed. So, Also, also way too early to tell, but do you think the Joker makes an appearance in this Doomsday Clock? He's actually on the alternate cover of issue 5. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, 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 was, I saw Lex. Lex yeah. is coming. Lex is there. We've got another cover with Batman reading Rorschach's journal. Right, which right, is which is that. out of control. <laughs> He's like, this guy's crazy. <laughs> so brooding and dark. <laughs> I love this story. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, but continuing on, he got he gets uh, my marionette. Like I said, he does the ridiculousness of, of loading up his fake guns into his holster. Oh, it's just... And uh, th- like, just the way they play it, like with these panels, they still... Even though there's so much on the page, they still let each panel breathe. And you, you still get to see the progression of how things get shot like a movie. I mean, a lot of people said that Zack Snyder did a great job of Watchmen, but Watchmen was basically storyboarded. They have everything you've ever needed on the comic page. Uh, very similar to here. But before they know where they're going, Rorschach says, don't worry about it. You know, I'm just, you know, I'm taking you. And uh, we find out that Rorschach, or at least this Rorschach, is working for Ozymandias. Yes, he is. And they're based out of uh, Night Owl's old cave. Night Owl 2, uh, his little uh, basement uh, headquarters. Yeah, there you go. Is being repurposed as Ozymandias's, I guess, lair at the moment. And Ozymandias confesses that he does have a brain tumor and is not going to be long for this earth. uh, And then says that he will help Marionette and Mime find their child. As long as he gets to find one of his homeboys, his OG homeboy. We're going to find God. Yeah, we, we need to find God because God has left us, people. That's why this doomsday clock is happening. That's why the world is on the brink of destruction. Dr. Manhattan, for those who... We uh, need to find Dr. Manhattan. Yes. And, Actually, uh, we, we neglected to mention, and, and that's because we here at Comic Book Click don't particularly care about race. But we, oh, yes, We yes. neglected to mention that oh, this yes. Rorschach was asked to prove himself and... He proved that he was not the original Rorschach by taking off a single glove and showing a hand with dark skin. Yes. This is so an this, African-American this is a, man. This is a dark-skinned Rorschach. Um, or, you know, do you think that plays into this, or was this just, this is a quick way to get people to stop asking questions? I think, uh, well, one, Jeff Johns was like specific about he wanted it to be a diverse story. So, you okay. know, like, Mime and Marionette are like of Hispanic descent, and, you know, this Rorschach is a dark-skinned man. And like, like, so that was on purpose. But at the same time, we've got characters from the original Watchmen story, right? Who now this now gives us a clue about, like, you remember Rorschach's therapist, Malcolm? Yes. Uh, who went a little crazy, and we never yeah, actually yeah. got a confirmation right. about whether or not he was killed in the New York attacks. Wow, that's actually that actually could uh, have that could be the foundation for all this because 
I mean, you 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 live your life trying to convince people that they may not be seeing things the way that they think that they are, and then you find out that that's exactly how it went down. Once Rorschach's a big lie, you know, he exposes the big lie. That could motivate somebody to maybe sort of kind of start fighting crime and pick up somebody's mantle and start trying to kill Definitely them. Definitely can. Um, but I love that Ozymandias still has his like weird pets, like his weird, you know, oh, like he's these... got a new bit. He's got a new one because you know he killed his his uh, exploded. He, yeah, he killed it with Doctor Manhattan, so he's got a little kitten version of it. Like I like to think that he ran out of his like uh, Antarctic layer with this cat <laughs> of somehow, and then got all the way to where Night Owl lives, and uh, it's fine, you know. Um, he seems very positive for somebody who's dying. Definitely does. And also it. very positive for somebody who's being sought after, like, by every government out. So I don't know if that is just Ozymandias being Ozymandias in the sense that he thinks he has it all under control and undercover, or if he's if it's all a, a, a facade. There's another interesting thing, actually, about um, Ozymandias and what's going on right now. The way they're talking... It's like, uh, it's been seven years since the end of Watchmen. It's, uh, what is it, November 22nd? Or the 23rd. Yeah, I can't remember. Uh, 1992. But that might not be, no, that their timeline might not actually be moving at the same at the same rate as the DC Universe's timeline. It can be 2017 in DC Universe while being 1992. That's true. In the Watchmen universe. So, like, that's one of, that's actually another thing that I'm looking for in this story. Has Dr. Manhattan been messing with the DC universe for the last 30 years or or is uh or is the Watchmen timeline moving differently than the DC universe's timeline I've also I was also thinking about uh that too because that's been the long time speculation I mean people know that Dr. Manhattan, Dr. Manhattan has had an effect on the DC timeline and you know you hear at the end of Watchmen that he that he says if he ever gets bored, right? He'll just create life or he'll just... So the, the thought that he got bored and decided to play with our favorite heroes, eight, heroes that are 80 years old, you know, uh, uh, have been in, ingrained in our memories. The fact that he's just playing around with these guys like ants, which is something that's a, it's a play in that in the entire Watchmen series, right? The idea that people are being puppets and uh, not realizing it. Yes. Now you have some of the greatest heroes of our generation as puppets, uh, with with Doctor Manhattan holding the strings, and that I I want to think that he that it could be a case of him doing it and not realizing how malicious it is. Because once you we we talk all the time about his uh, humanity, yes, Doctor Manhattan's humanity, and when you're a kid and you're pulling off legs on a spider, you're not really thinking of the agony that you know you're curious, you're just playing around just and want to see what happens, right? So you know, hopefully, uh, we get some of that humanity. We get to find out you know where he's at in the scope of this story where his humanity is and we get to find out a definitive answer as to what he wanted to do or what he was trying to do with the DC universe. You know, one of the quotes in the, that Jeff Johns uses uh, towards the end of uh, Doomsday Clock is from the poem with Ozymandias, right. but not the more famous poem. It's the it's actually a poem written by the friend of oh. the person who wrote the more famous Ozymandias poem. So basically it was the doomsday clock of the <laughs> Ozymandias poem. <laughs> well, uh, the, the book that they got that quote from was actually about, like, uh, you know, what would happen, uh, how how a person's behavior is affected when you uh, give them positive reinforcement or you okay. know, negative reinforcement. Right. And to see what happens, like, so a lot of people were thinking like that, that plays into how he's uh, how he's using Doctor Manhattan in the story here, where he's been maybe messing with the DC universe for thirty years and not maliciously, like you were saying. Well, where he's maybe just doing things just to, you know, let's see what happens if I if I kill this guy. Or yeah, let's, see what let's happens bring boy. Oh, you know, I don't I don't want Superman to not have his dad. Let's bring, let's bring that back. Let's exactly. see how that how the world works with that. As we actually, as one of the next things that happens in the story is uh, we go from this actually quite refreshing dip in the Watchmen pool as I as I would want to say we go from the <laughs> Watchmen world uh, over to the DC universe another cool artistic thing about this switchover was uh, the the tone of the whole book when we're in the Watchmen world you've got this orangey yellowy tone to it but when we move over to the DC universe now we've got this cool blue like yeah. we're completely in another universe and you can see it in the art. It's it's just... And and you know, to speak on the color palette of the Watchmen universe, uh, you know, 
there's a lot of things going on. You know, with the riots, you have the you have literally streets being um, set ablaze, and you're getting that that orange glow of the fires of the riots of unhappy uh, citizens in the Watchmen universe. Also, there are multiple countries threatening to send nuclear arms, and it's almost like the entire set, the entire panels of the Watchmen version of this comic are glowing with that radiation. You know, that exactly. that sort of. A nuclear time that's that's going on here. So now we go to the DC universe, and for the most part, yeah, our guys are kind of chilling, right? Like our Earth is, are not in comparison. Our Earth is not on the brink of of nuclear destruction. As a matter of fact, Superman is just hanging out, sleeping in his house with Lois. He's sleeping in the house with Lois, and I actually want to apologize because of what I was saying about that story where the uh, where the people were affected by positive and negative reinforcement it doesn't come from the Ozymandias quote. That comes from the book that Superman was reading before he went to sleep. Ah, which would then put those ideas in his head. Yes. Which makes a lot of because sense. as we see now, Superman is actually having a nightmare. A nightmare for the first time ever. And it brings him back to, you know, I guess a younger age Superman. Yeah, the day his uh, his parents died in a car accident. And New 52 continuity, it was... Uh, it was an imp from the fifth dimension that had something to do with this car crash. But yes, it was. what we're looking at here might be saying that it wasn't. It might have been Dr. Manhattan. Dr. Manhattan. There you go. With, yeah. Messing with the DC's well, reality here. Because that's actually the end of the book. The book ends on Superman having a nightmare, waking up and saying, you know, holy shit, Lois, I had a nightmare. And she's like, don't worry about it. He's like, no. I don't have nightmares. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he doesn't. And you got to think, like, if something is spooking the Man of Steel, if someone is spooking, if something is spooking uh, a guy of this power who basically at this point has seen and done everything. Yes, yes. Everything. You know, he's faced demons. He's faced gods. He's faced imps from the fifth dimension. And now his own mind is seemingly fighting him in, in, this, in this nightmare sequence. And, you know, if you go... If you go from that to what happens in uh, Action Comics a little bit without spoiling too much, he doesn't know what's, what's right and wrong anymore. He doesn't know what the truth is about things anymore. And now that his, now his dreams are kind of betraying him, that's going to that's gonna serve to be a big part of the narrative for Superman. What can he trust? What does he know? What is coming? Are, is everybody right who's been telling him for the longest time? I mean, we've seen this across DC Rebirth, right? Something's coming. We got to get ready. Something's coming. Handle it. They've been told no one can handle this threat. To the point that his dad was going to pick him up and take him home. There you go. <laughs> That's that. I mean, how big of a fight does it have to be for that to happen? But um, you know, it ends with like you said with the quote from the from Ozymandias. He meets some fragments, huge, and stops to guess what power, what powerful but unrecorded race once dwelt in the annihilated place. The title of now, the story, by the way, the annihilated place. And. You got, you know, the United Place obviously signifies the Watchmen universe, yes. but they were a powerful, maybe not race, but set of characters, and I don't think they're gone. They might be making their way over to uh, the DC universe, which... Well, they have to find God, and if, if if everything is the way it's looked, he's here in the DC universe, messing around, just, you know, <laughs> plucking well, around. We also got to believe that, um, that Dr. Manhattan understands the the concept of the multiverse you know that he understands the concept the concept of the time stream uh the speed force right like all these big ideas that happen um with dc to have somebody almost know all of that you know we really get to see what the limitations of john will be in this because we don't we don't know what side he's on we don't know how he feels about all this is he gonna just be like is ozymandias's goal to to just get his brain tumor out? Uh, uh, is he working for selfish reasons? You've got to figure he doesn't want to save the world anymore, seeing as how that didn't work out the last time. Or maybe not. He doesn't want to save that world, but maybe there is a world he wants to save. A world where he can replace the leaders of that world and, and be the person that he always wanted to be. Uh, this leaves a lot open, which as it should, it's issue one of 12. Um do you have any predictions moving forward? Do you do you have any um, uh, overbearing opinions? Like when you think of this book, uh, what do you think of? Well, it's honestly when I think of this book, I get excited at the possibilities because you know you know Jeff we Jeff Johns has been known to take classic stories or or even just small plot points from a long time ago and turn them into these outrageous, amazing stories like Blackest Night or right. you know the Infinity the uh, Infinite Crisis right. Uh, so I'm excited for what he's going to do with Doomsday Clock. I'm actually uh, 
that in the in the lead up to this uh in a recent issue of JSA uh JLA we were shown that Dr. Manhattan might have been uh might have actually tampered with time at the very 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 beginning of the DC universe you wow. know that uh, that blue hand right <laughs> that right that very blue hand that no one's supposed to look at you know uh so we were given a little evidence that it definitely is uh and he's been playing he's these been these games for a very this is a long game uh yeah. for a very long time and like, I can't wait to find out exactly what he's done. I can't wait either. And you know, even with the imagery that they've shown, you, you know, you we're gonna get the confrontation. We're gonna get Superman and uh, Doctor Matt. And now it may not be a versus situation. You know, they may not be punching one another. But I don't think Superman would want to do that. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I mean, could he comprehend the kind of being that? John is in this in this situation, the kind of being that Doctor Manhattan is. It's the ultimate optimist and the ultimate pessimist having a debate. Which yeah, is interesting in itself, right? So, yeah, but uh, in in the vein of things like um, Batman v Superman, I can't help but think that that there's going to be a underlying threat that both of them are going to have to well, face gotta, off against. Honestly, I kind of hope it, I uh, I kind of hope it's not. But if it is, it wouldn't probably be you know Ozymandias, right? He's known to yeah. be a dick. That's true. <laughs> yeah. But 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 I wonder what kind of threat Ozymandias can amass that would be a challenge for a team of Doctor Manhattan and we did get Superman. That, uh, we did get that that uh, that one cover with uh, Lex Luthor and Ozymandias. That's true. Hand and th- on his those two minds together. Oh my god! They can do some uh, despicable things. I guess the last thing I want to discuss, as far as Doomsday Clock is concerned, is the original Watchmen series said uh, had a very definitive statement to make about comic books, about the heroes, um, about government, about overreach, um, about all those things. Do you think that this book is going to, and do you think it has the responsibility that it has to make commentary on uh, the superhero mythos, basically like leave the Watchmen better than they got them when they started the Doomsday Clock? I think if anybody can do it, it's Jeff Johns and Gary Frank, but. Uh, I think that this, well, at least we've been told um, that this story is going to be a response to what Watchmen was saying all those years ago with that story about superheroes and and uh, their psyche and everything. Right. And uh, whether these stories need to be dark or whether these heroes need to go down these paths. Well, uh, this story is actually going to be the response to that, which is another thing I'm looking forward to seeing how Jeff Johns response to that because he was actually you know he was picking those books up off the shelf i read it retrospectively everyone right. told me it was the greatest thing on the world and then i read it and i'm like oh yeah it is right he got, he got to read it while i was on the shelf if anybody's perspective counts it's someone like him and he can probably tell the story of the middle of that right because uh one could argue that Watchmen and the dceu i mean yeah the dceu films uh signify the darkest of the superhero genre whereas the comics and the animated shows may signify the light but there is a middle yes and maybe that's what it's about getting back to with this whole rebirth initiative well it's not, i think it's actually kind of a you know because you know jeff johns does a metatextual story he does a metatextual yes, does. story so it's like the watchmen have infected the dc universe with their darkness and it makes in sense re- and in reality and pessimism they yeah. have really infected comics right that pessimism and that darkness because a lot of these you know Al Moore has a very large mind and when he put these when he put these ideas to use he used you know a dark story in a dark setting but he had other stories he was trying to tell you see a lot of the creators that came after Alan Moore would try to wrap their minds around that story but all they would get out of it was that it was good because you know it was dark or because you know people died and you know, and they took that into their stories, and and they created fans of that, and and it's basically you know Watchmen infected comics, right? Darkness. So no, it's true. Now. Think of the success of of Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns, and what it did to to those comics. Everything had to now be black and bleak. And listen, we, if anything, comics is a course correcting medium because look at the like things like Kingdom Come and how it went about to say that. We did, not every hero had to be like Spawn and Deadpool, where it's bullets and just gore, and we need those. Don't get it twisted. The nineties was full of right, where everyone has spikes and muscles and pouches everywhere. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and, and bullets, and it, that's all it is. You know, cybernetic limbs, and it's, 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 it's a lot. But um, there is a middle, and I think DC with that with Kingdom Come, 
And now with Doomsday Clock can can do that, can get us back to that middle. I think they can definitely bring us back to that middle. If you've noticed, ever since Rebirth, the DC Comics have, well, they've been great. Not not to mention that, but they've been infused with this new hope and optimism. And there's just a brightness about it. And yeah. I would love to see Jeff Johns tell us, you know, how we got to this now. How did we get rid of this infection? Dr. Oh. Manhattan slowly infecting us for the last 30 years, doing whatever he does. Oh, exactly, you know? exactly. And, you know, with this new uh, rebranding and this new system of trying to bring more hope into DC Comics in general, uh, it's quite ironic that the next thing we're going to tackle is probably the darkest story we've heard in DC's history. A story originally titled Dark Crisis. Dark, which, which, I mean, even the, even the, um, you know, they're, they're, they're being very particular with, with all their branding with this story here. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if Dark Crisis was going to be its name. And that is Dark Knight's Metal, which has, uh, gone from issues one to three. We're going to sit here and talk about some of its tie-ins, where we think it's going, where it has gone, uh, and just basically its effect on, uh, the DC EU. Now, this story was that it would, it's enjoyable on its own, for sure, as, you know, a lot of Zach, uh, Scott Snyder stories are. But uh, it's a lot more enjoyable if you were a fan of Scott Snyder's run on Batman during the New Fifty Two. I I'm a, I actually jumped in on Zack Snyder's run. I had heard a lot about the Court of Owls and the idea uh, on the face of it just sounded so interesting. Like we said again, people adding to the mythos is so important to these things. Uh, there are so many tools to play with in in the tool chest of these superstars or these uh, these. Uh, comic book characters that it seems like some ca- some creators go to the same well way too many times yes and for jeff i mean jeff johnson well i was just talking i have great creators <laughs> stuck in my mouth with uh it's not scott snyder um making gotham city a character in the new 52 was great we saw how that worked in um dark knight trilogy how much how important it was to have gotham at the center of, of all this and so that's what we're talking about just adding to the mythos and guess what this if you are a batman fan adds to the mythos oh boy does it whoa how do you feel about how do you feel about um this whole connor hall inclusion um, oh carter hall. Uh, carter hall oh my god it was i actually i was like you know i was happy with the idea of all the immortals working together like right. you know racial cool, you know, oh Vandal that was Savage, cool to have people at the, at the know, round table all yeah. the at the round table the round table of immortality basically. these immortals really should be talking to each other at least once every hundred years right let's yeah, get our yeah. shit together but <laughs> you know uh, so I was really I thought that was really cool but then you know it gets even cooler where you know well I'm sure like by now we've, we've all read metal number one at least you know right. and you know you you eventually find out that uh, his grandson Daniel Daniel Hall the new dream Right. This is going to be part of the story. So it was like, whoa, okay. Bringing Sandman elements. I'm all up in this. I was very happy about that. It's it's crazy. You um, There's always been a conscious effort to keep Hawkman afloat. Yeah, but... In DC. And how do, you feel about the, how do you feel about that character? Okay, I feel like Hawkman on its own, you know, it's Hawkman, you know? <laughs> but... When you take, the, I get Birdman vibes from Birdman, <laughs> attorney at law. You know, no, <laughs> you know, no. Well, when you get the right creator on the on a on a Hawkman book, oh, James Robinson's Hawkman. Oh my right. god! You know, like so. Then you read stories like that, and it's like, well, Hawkman's one of my favorite characters. But of course, because you know, James Robinson made him right. awesome. <laughs> and if, but if people don't continue in that vein, if people don't, if people don't pay homage to what that creator did, yeah, then we're right back we're to the right bottom. With the, he just has a big helmet with those weird eyes on it and the stupid wings that he puts on. Yeah, ah, yeah. <laughs> Terrible. But um, they, they seem to have been rooting a lot of this story with him, with him having being immortal. He saw the tribes. The beginning of Jewish civilization, tribes, which is actually a very, very fun callback to Graham Morrison's run on Batman, because Scott Snyder's run on Batman almost completely ignored Graham Morrison's yeah. run, and that right. pissed me off to no end. So now seeing Metal and bring everything around, and seeing how Scott was actually going to be calling back to that, which he ignored this entire time, I'm like, okay, I'll forgive you. Well, that was a journey that we all went on when Bruce went back into time, and you know things like that that uh, Scott Snyder chose to call back to. Uh, in with this story, um, and you start to wonder, like, was it worth, you know, that entire year of, of not having Batman and him fighting through time and him becoming a pirate and, uh, you know, the Judas tribe, like you were saying from before, 
Uh, I think it'll always be worth it because we got to see Dick as Batman for a year. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> so good, so good. Should have stood in lost in time, Bruce. But from the beginning of this story, one thing is certain, Batman is terrified. Absolutely terrified. There seems to be something he doesn't hundred percent understand, or doesn't hundred percent know how to uh, combat. And it is that uh, this metal, this idea that there are legendary metals in DC, and that um, through a process called the mantling, uh, could enable the gateway, which in this case happens to be Bruce Wayne, could enable uh, the gateway to be opened and let out Barbatos, the Dark Bat Demon of the Multiverse. So, um, you know, it starts off automatically with it, with with Bruce trying to take the last bit of metal that he can find, and, and then uh, you know, this chase for finding Batman I thought was amazing. Like, uh, it should be pointed out that this Batman is actually terrified. He is making mistakes. He is running. He is doing things. The league is trying to figure out what's wrong with him. It it, it was fun to see. It to tell you the truth, that's it's actually one of my favorite parts of Batman is that we know when he's calm, cool, and collected. We've seen that all oh, because I'm Batman, because I'm Batman. But what happens when that stops working? Yes. That's a lot more compelling to see him, you know, fall apart at the seams. And we, while we don't know why he's afraid, in the future we end up kind of finding, like a lot of the stuff they show in these issues is nightmare fuel. You know, a lot of the concepts that they have uh, that we'll get to in a bit, but you know, you had Batman with Baby Darkseid uh, uh, throwing up the little, throwing up the little devil the, horns. The devil horns. I thought that was the cutest thing in the universe. I'm sorry. I guess, <laughs> I guess he just like picked them up from Grail, who've been baby. Yeah, he just baby Darkseid. Like, you won't, you won't, you won't, uh, you won't miss this. I'll, I'll bring him back. She's like making the dark side bottle in the kitchen, and you know she comes back. And Honey, uh, I made breakfast. Oh, no. the dark side crib is empty. The baby is got my father. <laughs> right, my father's last son is gone, but uh. Has baby Darkseid his plan, which is kind of ridiculous, is to use the Omega Beam and the Omega Sanction to go back uh, through time so that th- there is no Batman to be a uh, gateway for, and therefore there is no B- Barbatos. Am I saying that right? Barbatos? Yes, yes. I feel like the bat needs to be emphasized. Bar- Barbatos? Barbatos. Because if not, it just sounds like that country Rihanna's from. Exactly. And Bar- I don't think Batman has any beef with Rihanna, so that, is, that wouldn't even make any sense. But um, Barbatos does end up having the mantling take place. Uh, the Court of Owls finds Batman. They trick him into going into the wrong tomb and uh, are able to use the mantling effects to open up the gateway. Which actually, you know, they, I think there were, what, uh, seven different metals that they had to collect? Yes, you had Dionysium. Dionysium, Magnesium. There were like six that they had already collected and then they found one. <laughs> the greatest. The greatest metal. The, the great, I want to see what it looks on like the on the periodic table. table. It's got to have you, a little bat on it because it's called Batmanium. Yes, Batmanium. And they <laughs> Batmanium. even, and as silly as it sounds on the face of it, they talked about Batmanium they in the 52. They explained it and they explained how it came to be and why it even has this silly name. So you know, it's like, for me, it makes perfect logical sense. If you if, if you don't understand it I perfectly, I understand why. But, but it's there. It's there. And I, that's why I said like DC has been very rewarding lately. All of this seems to be huge apology letters, but not even apology letters. I think that they are just trying to build that goodwill. And this is how you do it, by telling people that everything that you've seen and read exists. This is definitely how you do it. I don't want to say that, you know, I don't like to be, to throw fuel on the Marvel versus DC fire, because I love all comics. I want everybody to succeed so that I can have more stories to read. Stories are good. But um, they definitely stole me over from the House of Marvel. For the last two years, I have just been living in the DC universe, and their stories are so rewarding. They take you back. They help you know that you did not waste your time. Like yeah, ten years. DC, I mean, D- DC is the place to be, and you have um, this story here, which, like I said again, puts Batman in a position that he normally isn't in. So you get that aspect because everything. I love Snyder's run, but Snyder's that Batman was unstoppable. Yeah, very self-contained story too. He never played well with anyone else. No, no, <laughs> and they like very rarely. And so in this story here, Batman needs his friends to go forward because, turns out. That Barbatos, the Barbatos does uh, use uh, Bruce Wayne as the gateway, traps Bruce Wayne into the dark multiverse, and we get, which I think is the best part of this story, we get the introduction of the Dark Knights of the multiverse. Yes, Batman that- versions of almost of the of the 
the members of the Justice League. Yeah, his worst nightmares. Uh, dragged out from the Dark Multiverse, which is actually the Dark Multiverse. If you don't know, it exists on the other side. Of the <laughs> yes, DC it does universe. on the ma- on the other side of the <laughs> yeah. map. If you have the map of the DC Universe, turn it, it to the back because now there is another map back there. Don't believe me, it's there. You don't even have to flip it over; just leave it where you have. With it. the Dark Multiverse, which means as many Earths are in the regular multiverse or in the Dark Multiverse, each one with a horrifying effects. Like I said, all nightmare fuel, the very worst that Batman uh, has to, you know, can can think up. And um, what do you? What was your favorite? I mean, all these guys got one shots. They all got origin stories, you know. Um, what was your favorite Dark Knight of the multiverse? Well, um, but but uh, before I talked about that, I just wanted to say the Dark Multiverse. I actually really like the concept of it, where these worlds only exist because they are the fears and uh and the. Uh, the nightmares of people that exist in the regular multiverse. So right. once they overcome these fears, these worlds vanish and they are fully aware of it and it hurts them. Yes. So these dark knights now are pissed off. We're, we're, we're underbelly. We're scourged. We're nothing. We're, yeah. we're waste. And, and we, all, uh, each one of them are refugees of their earth. Refugees of their earth. Their earths are gone. They're, you know, they're negative, right? Cause all of them were like from earth negative 10 or earth yeah. negative 28. Uh, they have no home. They are, but they are fully ready to make Earth Zero their home. Yeah. Um, to these dark nights, they're actually uh straight from Batman's nightmares, like we were saying. We've got, we've got one for each member of the league. And my favorite was uh, my favorite had to be you know the Batman who laughs. I know that's a cliche answer right <laughs> now. Everyone's gonna say the Batman who laughs. But well, you know why? Why do things gotta be cliche if it, if everyone can agree, right? Everyone's I mean, agree. I I don't mind. I'm gonna jump right in there too. I'm on the bandwagon. I'm driving that shit. Um, <laughs> I I like the Batman who laughs. I'm a fan of I'm a fan of the Dawnbreakers, who's the Green Lanterns. Um, the Green Lantern analog. I'm a fan of his uh, origin because I do believe that Bruce has super will. If anything. He has that. He does have that willpower and his ability to jailbreak that um that lantern ring and then use it for murder was amazing. I like the twist at the end of the Merciless when you find out that Diana tried to take the the helmet from Bruce, or the helmet of Ares from Bruce, and he kind of you know handled her, handled her. Uh, handled her. <laughs> uh, I thought that was great. But yeah, we, you know we got all these guys here. Red Death oh, had Red a great Death. story. Red Death was another great great story. Uh, which is the Flash version of Batman, and basically Batman pulls the Speed Force out of Barry Allen by repurposing the Cosmic Treadmill and the Batmobile to pull the Speed Force out of Barry Allen, and now there's this weird kind of Jekyll and Hyde yeah, this double amalgamation existence type thing going on. And their speech bubbles are all cool because they're like scratchy and double of everything. So I thought that was real cool. So yeah, you got the Merciless, you got the Dawnbreaker, you got the uh, Red Death, and then you got um, the Drowned, which is probably my least favorite. Did you find a, a soft spot for Bryce uh, Wayne, the female <laughs> version of Bruce Wayne? I did think that it was pretty cool that it was Earth negative 11 because Earth 11 is the universe where all the heroes are gender bent. This is true. So, uh, but uh, the story definitely was the weakest out of all seven. And I'm a big guy. I'm a big story guy. Like, right. yeah, I, I would like your character if your story's good. That's yeah. all. So that was definitely on the bottom of my list. We have um, the Devastator, which is a doomsday version of Batman, which uh, Batman injects himself with the doomsday virus to stop Superman, and things do not go. That was uh, actually that well. pretty high on my list, seeing that uh, re reimagined version of the Batman v Superman fight. Yeah, Bruce has the staff, but he gets his arm all lasered e- off. Exactly, but and you you with with someone with as many contingency plans as as he has, you got to think. That this doomsday serum existed, or I, think I mean, that this is basically confirmation that he has a doomsday serum because this. But he has not taken it. But he's never used it. Okay. And hopefully, he never has to because that is one ugly some bitch. No, yeah, we do not need to see the devastator on this earth. We have the murder machine, which I think has the worst name. The murder machine. I'm not a real Something big fan. Something straight of the out of the seventies. Yeah, I'm not really big on the murder machine's uh, name, but basically, uh, he comes with a entire AI family of Alfreds. That uh, you know, are constantly asking, "Are you okay, sir? How are you doing, sir?" And, and all this kind of stuff. There, basically, really creepy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he, I, I, I like this. I like this. Uh, his stuff, and he, he actually, I think, does a lot better when he's are interacting with Cyborg, like when they're trying to pull out something from him. We'll get to that in a bit. But then, like I said, you have the Batman who laughs. Who we just got his story. He was the last one to get a, a one shot. How did you think about the explanation of the Batman who laughs uh, and that why was, uh, he is 
how he is. Basically, what happens in that story is that Joker has a contingency plan. If he's ever killed, the person who kills him will become the next Joker because a gas will emit from a tooth from from his tooth that will cause him to have the same debilitating effects of falling into the acid and all that actually, madness. I actually loved that story. Uh, it was pretty sick. It's a pretty sick story. It's dark, very dark. Uh, but, but um. One of the things I liked about that story was that even though Bruce was losing his mind, he's still Bruce. He is still as sick-minded, and he's always got a contingency plan. He's still, he he's still got the mental capacity to do things that normal people can't do. He's just evil now. He's completely lost it. The yeah, way- the the, the uh, none of these guys have sympathy. None of these guys have any kind of qualms with just mass murder. And that's one of the things that Batman has for years stood against. So seeing him go so quick to try to kill people is, you know, it's very shocking. It's shocking. But the way it was explained, it actually, actually, uh, the Joker virus didn't take effect immediately. It wasn't like, you know, gas, you know, poof, ha ha ha. You know, oh, that's everyone's probably- dead. It, it took, it took like a month. Of uh, his costume slowly changing, he had oh, like yeah. this cool purple and yellow bat costume on. Yeah, it's, it's, his skin's kind of getting lighter. It's, it's, it was a slow progression. Oh my god, the way he he just handled Superman and his family. Oh my god, yeah, sick, out of control, <laughs> out of control. Black kryptonite is the way he gave him. He did give him black kryptonite, and then he made him like kill his. He, own he said he said the last like the the effects of this will cause you to rip your family to shreds, and that's exactly what he does. You see, like these weird, like he's bleeding from his eyes, like these weird panels of the Justice League being torn to shreds. Even when Barbado shows up in the regular, uh, you know, multiverse, the the sunken faces of Wonder Woman and Superman, like. It's nasty zombiness. Well, well, like I said, like all of this is nightmare fuel, but in the same sense, this had to have been like exciting for the artists right who have been drawing the same you know and Grant Capula comes from the house of spawn yes yes you know and so this is almost all out out of spawn and he had to have been tired of drawing like uh uh square jaws and and uh barrel chests i think that's why why he gave bruce the pointy chin yeah you know uh he he really i i love Grant capullo's art i really think that he is you know he did what Neil Adams did in for this generation of Batman fans, the new generation, the newest generation of Batman fans. His art is actually so distinct that it was hard for me to read Snyder's Batman and then connect it to the other works. Right, that right, were going exactly. On at the same time, exactly. Um, but you have you have all these guys now with no Earths, and what are they going to do? They're going to do exactly what they always do with these kind of series, where they pit each one against the person that they are uh, representing. Or the their version, their doppelganger, uh, yeah. so to speak. So each one of these Batmen are have concocted their own Bat caves, right? Uh, each so there's all these Batmen of the Dark Multiverse, all with dark Bat caves, and have trapped each one, each member of the Justice League in these caves, all except for Batman, who's trapped in the Dark Multiverse, Superman, who in trying to find out where Batman is. Is trapped in the dark multiverse. So naive. It's uh, so funny watching him just be like, "I love you, Bruce. Where are you, man?" He was like, "Uh, Diana, no. He told he told me that thing. Remember that thing we said? We had like a little cold uh, back yeah, in the day. He's having this dream, and in the <laughs> dream, Damien and John are playing uh are playing the nineteen sixties Batman theme song. Yeah, you know, everyone's just hanging out. The picnic. And as it turns out, uh, Clark and Diana. That's the D and the C that. Bruce had actually told Clark was their secret, uh, was their secret message. If he was ever in trouble, he'd send him a secret message with a uh, a D and a C in it. Right. But as it turns out, the message Bruce was sending him is actually in reverse. Yeah. Don't come get me. Do not come get me. The message is in the first two notes of Damien and John's song. The, the note is a C and a D. Out of control. So, yeah, so he like, was sending the. We was sending a message. Superman, Superman uh, got it wrong heard what he wanted to hear. Yeah, exactly. And. and uh, <laughs> And then they do some kind of mumbo jumbo about about sending Superman to the dark multiverse. That seemed a little bit. He he used the uh, the spire from the Crisis stories. I don't know if you remember the Anti Monitor using his shadow people to uh, create the giant multiversal these tuning fork things. Tuning fork, and uh, they use that to go into the dark multiverse. And then Batman's there, like it's like you idiot. <laughs> I told them they'd never win as long as they didn't catch Superman. He's the smartest mind of the generation. He would never show up here ever. And then you showed up. Two minutes ago, I was building you up. <laughs> and and probably I think what the scariest part about this is what 
happens, what we're told happens in the Dark Multiverse, what we see a little bit more in Batman Lost, Issue 1, which is Superman and Batman are reliving nightmares over and over and over again. Instances in which they are being killed or, or dying. I really like that Batman Lost uh, issue. With people uh, losing their lives, losing loved ones. I, I really liked the Batman Lost issue because you have Batman as a grandfather, almost, and Barbatos playing his niece or granddaughter, and it's kind of... Every time Bruce is saying, like, oh, no, this isn't right. Oh, no, this isn't how this went. Don't worry, Grimms. Barbatos, yeah, yeah, it's just like, no, nah, don't worry. Dude. Listen, uh, you ain't got nothing to worry about with that. And how scary is that? Like, that you can keep being pulled deeper. And they say that constantly, right? Barbatos is saying, I'm going to get you. And when I get you, there's not going to be any light. I'm going to keep pulling and pulling you deeper and deeper. Representative um, of your own fears. Now, I have a... Because remember, they, they have the bird that flew into the... Or was it the bat that flew into the window? Yeah. That is Barbatos. That is Barbatos. They've, 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 that has now been said that the bat that flew in the, well, father, I shall become a bat. That All that stuff is uh, Barbatos have been orchestrating this entire well, thing You knew from that the get. couldn't be a coincidence. It, sounded, it, <laughs> it, uh, it was a cool coincidence in the beginning, right? When we first heard that, I was like, oh, wow, a random bat. Like, And then you think, like, oh, so if it would have been a pigeon, you would have been like, oh, I will become a pigeon, father. Well, but all this all this comes from Bruce's original journey through time, though, right? Yes. Yeah. Where Barbatos followed him through time. Yeah. You know, uh, so he has a bone to pick with this, with, uh, with Mr. Wayne. Um, but... I think... Um, but I'm excuse, sorry, but um, didn't Grant Morrison actually come back to DC to work with Scott Snyder on Batman Lost? I gotta double check that. If, if, Did he if, get credited? If that? that happens, if that's the case, and that that'd be absolutely awesome because it is. It is. It's so much a love letter to Batman, as we said. Everything else is, uh, where it deals with his first story ever, his yeah. first issue of his first story ever. I mean, look, you got a, a list of names there. I'm not sure if uh, Morrison's on there, but. Um, I remember uh, there was like this big, there was this big uh, story out there. Bleeding Cool's all hype about it. Oh, Morrison's back! And then when I read it, it's like, oh, well, he's only helping. And I mean, I like you know, it does have the Morrison touch. That there's a panel that starts off the entire comic in which Bruce looks straight into the into the exactly. straight at the reader. You know, Bruce is looking right at the reader, and that's right, that's right out of Grant Morrison's multiversity. Is it multiversity? Multiplicity? Multiversity, yeah. Multiversity? I can see you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and how that's kind of scary for us, the reader, because we've been, we've been almost this voyeur looking at these people without them knowing that we're looking at these people kind of thing. So it to have kinda... Bruce to be like, uh, no, I know you're there. Just calling me out. Stop looking at me. You now feel like a creep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, the bat goes into the window. You heard there's like this throwaway line about how birds and bats see differently. They see they can't see the angles on the windows or something back else. To the to the war between the bird tribes and the bat tribes. And the birds and bat tribes. So I'm gonna use both of those to come up with a little bit of a speculation. Um the next thing seemingly to come in this Batman Lost thing seems to be Hawkman found. And uh with this birds and bat thing, is there a is there a possibility that Hawkman will be able to find the way out that Bruce can't. Remember when they were talking about these, those angles? A bat and a bird see different angles. They can't see through the window. Could not see maybe the window. I'm, I'm, there's a lot here that I have to unpack, but that's basically the gist of what I'm trying to say, that Hawkman's going to be the man to save uh, that's Batman. Actually, that actually makes a lot of sense. I actually hadn't thought of that while reading because I keep thinking back to Morrison's run. Right. So I keep thinking of the tribes. <laughs> but I hadn't put together how we're basically, they're talking about how Batman and Hawkman are going to need each other here. You're right. They're the gonna... bird and the bat are going to ultimately need each other to take down our Barbatos. And uh, another thing I want to mention about this series is forging and casting. The two books that came out prior to Metal were heavy. Like, they had a lot of uh, expository information, things that you had to remember. Lots of Easter eggs. Lots of Easter yeah. eggs. Um, and I... With the way that Snyder run, writes, you want these things in your pocket. Like, these things that you think are throwaway are the breadcrumbs that are going to lead to the next story. Yes. And so that's why I feel that they did such a, a long paint. Because this Batman Lost issue could have been two or three pages in any of the metal tie-ins to tell you what Batman's dealing with. Yeah, the formatting on this story is almost as if he has too much story to fit in the eight issues that they gave him. So right, it's like like it, it almost behooves him to have a whole dark multiverse on its own. There you go. You know, to, to do all that. Um, But... Batman is stuck. Superman is stuck. Uh, they, the only people seem to be left are the people of the Gotham Resistance. Because Gotham, uh, 
the Batman Who Laughs has given certain members of the Gotham Rogues Gallery superpowered cars that allow them to, to their deepest desires to be fulfilled. Riddler builds an entire labyrinth. Um, you have uh, Mr. Freeze kind of in a sub-zero, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, like where he can actually command, command ice with his hands and has these ice golems that can fight. You have Poison Ivy uh, and her, you know, menagerie of of evil human-eating plants. Challenger Mountain. Yeah, you know, you have yeah. Challenger Mountain. Uh, it's, basically, Challenger Mountain sits in the middle of this entire um, thing, which is a callback to, you know, yes. the Challengers, and that that's absolutely awesome. But you have... Smatterings of heroes, half of the Suicide Squad, uh, some of the Titans. You know, everyone who's left is actively trying to fight. When we see um, Detective Chimp, you know, oh, yes. Detective Chimp, you know, uh, is also there. When we see um, these guys at the bar, everyone seems to have like ten years put on them. Oh They're my stressed goodness. out. You mentioned the Oblivion Bar. Now the Oblivion Bar was such another example of DC being rewarding to its readers. We have not seen the Oblivion Bar in like 10 years. There you go. We have not seen this since Infinite Crisis. And then to see what they do to it afterwards. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. Heartbreaking. It was. It was. <laughs> um, there's been a bunch of heartbreaking stuff. We're gonna, we'll are gonna. we be able to get into that. But definitely, de- definitely those callbacks, definitely rewarding those readers. This, this has been a, a, a conscious effort moving forward with DC and... You know what, man? If they're gonna keep doing it, I'll keep staying. I'm you know what I'm saying? You keep it. you keep serving me dessert. I'm not leaving. You know what I'm saying? That, 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 that's all that it's gonna be. But um, we're about halfway through the story. Uh, so many tie-ins. Like I said, uh, you have um, members of the Gotham Resistance, like Nightwing and Damien and Arrow. They figured out that if they can uh, amass weapons tipped with the metal, uh, any of the metals that have um the effects of the mantling, that they could ultimately take out these members of the dark multiverse. So we have the enemy. We have the means to stop the enemy. We just need to get our team back. We got to get Bruce back. We got to get Superman back. And we have to get the right tools and the right hands of the right people to stop the members of these multiverses. But what do, what do you think is going to be, is going to come about this? Do you think that this story... Well, uh, one of the things we actually forgot to mention was that during, in all of these... Uh, Dark Knight's one-shots, Dr. Fate was uh, collecting yes. a team. He was. Snatching them away from danger just in time. Green Lantern, uh, Flash, Cyborg, uh, I want to say Wonder Woman. There were a couple others um, that Dr. Fate was uh, assembling. So Right right before instant death, almost. Yes. Uh, he yeah. would show up and, and grab these guys up. Then, then uh, uh, is it Lois who's walking around as a doomsday? Uh, is an entire doomsday virus has been released oh, right. on Metropolis. Uh, yes, uh, you know yes. we have Lois, <laughs> we have the doomsday version of Lois Lane stomping around Metropolis. Like things are bleak in this story. Uh, uh, Red Death is creating some sort of aura around it. If you touch it, you automatically die. Um, a bunch of stuff is going on, and um, hope does seem to be lost. But we, like I said, we have the weapons that we need to amass. The Justice League has escaped. They are. They are currently in. I want to say hypertime. Are they in hypertime right now? Well, I think that what happened was they were. Some of them were all captured. They. Well, no. Cyborg. Well, Cyborg, Cyborg yes. was captured, and then it turns out the mother box inside of him, which is this is an obvious thing. We all should have thought of a long time ago. It's powered by Element X. So exactly. Cyborg would also be powered by Element X. So right. now he has figured out how to use the Element X to traverse the multiverse and hypertime, which right. uh, which is where they are now. Um, Which seems pretty cut and dry, right? Like that, that, that use Element X to do it. But there was a little bit of of, of a struggle in this decision because um, the yes. initial the yeah. initial decision was let this mother box take more control. Yes, and that's something that frightens Vic because I mean it's always man or machine, right, with him. And to allow this thing to completely overhaul everything that he knows is a little bit scary to the former football player. And it hasn't been confirmed yet, but I've got a small feeling that whenever he uses this element X, he's going to be giving up a little bit more of his control. Thankfully, we get a bit of a reunion of sorts where uh, Cyborg is struggling with whether or not to give more of himself up, and he hears a friendly voice. You know, I'm here for you. Don't do it. 
you can be yourself. At the time, I'm thinking, may, may, who could this be? Is it like a father? Is it his dad? Is it somebody from his past? Is it some? Is it another random cameo that we're gonna get from yes. 1963, exactly. where where Cyborg has a, you know, he has an imp that hangs out with him and likes to talk to him, and no, it ends like, up no, being. He definitely ended up getting back a major part of Cyborg's life, which is Raven. Yes, which, and and the way they were talking to each other with the air of familiarity in that. There might have been a Teen Titans now in where, continuity. Where, where Cyborg, Cyborg was on was it. definitely on the team, and that just that just made my heart feel all warm and tickly. And, <laughs> and and you know it it just felt right. It's one of those things that you you know the history of these characters, and when they put them in this position, it just feels right. The same way every time you put Dick Grayson with Damian Wayne, that it oh, just gels because they were a team. So that makes a hundred percent sense. And um, what I guess. What I, I I gotta ask is now that the team is out in the multiverse, right? They're they're traversing the multiverse with Cyborg One Million. That's what he's calling himself, right? Cyborg yes. One Million. Cyborg new branding on Cyborg. Cyborg One Million, and they're traversing the multiverse. Um, they are going to be hunted down by the Dark Knights of the multiverse. The next uh, installment seems to be the Wild Hunt where the Dark Knights will be seemingly looking for the members of the League that have split across various locations of the multiverse to find the, the medals that are going to be needed to destroy I'm the Dark Knights. I'm actually really interested in how they're going to collect this and trade paperback. Because, right. well, we're only up to medal issue four. We've had about, let's say, 15 or 16 different issues of metal that are not just throwaway tie-ins. Right. Well, like, you, the one-shots are what? Six one-shots. It's six one-shots. And that's just on the Dark Knight of the Multiverse. Yeah. There's two prequel books, The Forging, the Forging and the Casting. Casting. That's eight. Two cro- two separate crossover tie-ins. Yep. Bats Out of Hell and uh, Gotham Resistance. Four and, issues each. And this Batman Lost title. And Batman Lost now. So you, there is a lot. This is going to be... And I mean, listen... There's very few creators that get to get a story that stretches as far as this does. Um, I'm I'm I can't blame the guys for uh for stretching his hands. Like I I can't blame him for getting as much story out of this as possible. Because what's worse is when you get these stories and the tie-ins seem forced. Yes. Like like the characters are not really in the midst of what's going on. They're kind of on the outskirts. So we'll see what we can get them to do. Everybody but, hates a pointless tie-in. Exactly. Uh. But this shows how much the entire DC universe is in, enveloped into this. Something that hopefully we see in Doomsday Clock as well. Hopefully we see that Doomsday Clock and the effects of it affect the entire uh, DC universe. I actually uh, a bunch. I actually noticed a bunch of people online, you know, asking, you know, how could Doomsday Clock and all this Doctor Manhattan stuff be happening at the same time as DC Metal? And the the answer to that, which I think it was mentioned once, but it hasn't been mentioned in story yet, is that Doomsday Clock is actually one year ahead of the DC universe, which means that uh, it's a year ahead of uh, a year ahead of uh, DC Metal. So. By the time Doomsday Clock ends, there's most likely going to be this huge universe-changing ramifications right. that are going to affect DC line-wide. Well, and with these two, these two books are no slouch. They're no, no, they're no slouches, and and they are going to have permanent effects moving on to the DC multiverse uh, going forward. This creation of the Dark Multiverse does a lot, but. I guess now is a good time to talk about a little bit of the speculation that's been going around that one of the members of the Dark Knights of the Multiverse may be hanging on past Dark Knights Metal, yeah. and that is the Batman Who Laughs, your favorite Batman. Uh, Batman. Um, I love it. Keep is it. there room for seemingly a second Joker in I, in Batman's thing, or am I cutting the character is, too short? Is there room for another Batman rogue? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's, that's true. Well, that that well, can be argued. At the same time, you know, he could be a Superman villain. I don't That's know where true. they're going to go with this. And hopefully they, hopefully he isn't just another, you know, Arkham Asylum resident. Right. You know, hopefully And it's not it's also not easy to say that name constantly. Like is Bruce going to call him Batman. the Batman who laughs? Hey Batman who laughs. Well, we hope we locked away the Batman Have who laughs. Have he called him that in story? Like has he other than him calling himself that? No. No, right? No, somebody will come up with a name for him. And they all yeah, they all got really good on that branding early. I yeah. remember the Dawnbreaker was like, "I'm the Dawnbreaker." And I was like, ah. That works, yeah. You could, I mean, hey, people gotta know. People got get that get that uh, logo out there, man. Uh, get that logo you, out yeah, there. you gotta. People gotta know. But um, with these two uh, comics, DC is swinging for the fences, but they still need to be able to do that on the on the film side of things. Uh, 
uh, in our maybe our next uh, installment of Major Issues, we'll go forward with a full-on Justice League review. But I realize that that's going to take its own shape yeah, and Justice form. Justice League has major issues. It does. It has major <laughs> issues. And um, but man, it has been a blast talking about these two books. It's been an exciting time to be a comic fan in oh, general. Yes. I, I'm maybe just a DC fan, but it's I, been I, kind of I, You know, if you like rehashed <laughs> stories, you know, Marvel's the place to be right now. So uh, <laughs> if, you, uh, if you like, uh, it was all in the Cosmic Cube stories. That then the, <laughs> it was Kobach. It was all Kobach. If you like, if you like that, um, you know, then then that's there for don't, you. Don't get us wrong, though. I love Marvel. I love Marvel. I just want to see them do better right now. Like, they're on fire with their films, but in the comic world, it's like... Yeah, Ugh. they only seem to care about Spider-Man in the comic world for some strange reason. Um, but get it together. Yeah, but, you know, if you like, if that's what you like, if you like the Marvel, if you like the DC, if you like comics, this is the place to be. And if you like what we do, there's various places where you can find the stuff that we do. You can go to facebook.com slash comic book click, Instagram at comic book click, or use the hashtag comic book click to talk about the newest, hottest, and latest and greatest things to come to comic books and comic book media. With major issues out now, we'll be able to do deep dives into comic book stories, into TV shows, casting news, comic news, all kinds of stuff like that. And I'm I can't be any more excited than I am now, except for when Doomsday Clock issue two comes out, and then you know December we'll be sitting here. Twenty seventh. There you I'm go. I'm going to go freeze myself talk, until then. And you, talk, <laughs> you know we'll be put on ice until then. But make sure that you guys aren't. Make sure that you guys are following all things comic book clicks. So you can find out the news of when these episodes are trying to drop again this is a brand new venture and we thank all of you guys for being alongside for the ride this has been a doomsday clock and dark knight metal and the tie-in uh review and recap my name is george serrano aka the don this is jonathan escudero aka yogi and this has been an episode of major issues we got major issues we got major issues and you yes you are worthy <laughs>